0: Uh, Today, I'm speaking on waiting on the Lord, and last week, Pastor Craig spoke on the Lord's prayer, and he shifted our focus from it just being a ritual that you recite every morning or in the evening before you go to bed, but a relationship that you have with the God you're praying to. And for me, one of the takeaways I, I, I went home with was the fact that Craig said that the relationship has to be personal to who God is and means to me. So as I'm saying the Lord's Prayer, I'm not saying it to an inanimate uh, persona. I'm saying it to somebody who I know well, who knows me, and so I'm speaking to my father, my daddy, as Craig uh, said. And I want to pick up this morning from uh, that message by looking at what waiting on the Lord after you've prayed uh, looks like, or what is the right posture that you need to have when waiting for things you've petitioned the Lord for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is always alive, no matter the season, no matter the time, no matter the circumstance. Father, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, Lord, as we come before you this morning, we want to thank you that you even give us an audience, uh, holy as you are, that, Father, your love um, surpasses our weaknesses, surpasses our sins. You demonstrated it for us, as you tell us in Romans 5:8, that while you are still sinners, Christ died for us. And so, Father, it is to you we come before this morning. And, Father, I want to pray that as we talk about waiting on you, That Lord, if there's anyone here who's been uh, waiting on you for something, that, Father, you'll speak to them by your Holy Spirit in a very special way, so that, Lord, as they walk out of this service this morning, they will walk out uh, really not waiting for that particular thing, but in a deep, deep awareness of who you are to them and what uh, you mean to them. So, Father, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, come and be in our midst. Holy Spirit, come and minister to us wherever we are. Holy Spirit, minister even to those who are listening to me online. We thank you that you surpass all media. And so, Lord, we submit ourselves to you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So waiting is a part of life. Uh, Currently, there are some of us who are waiting for this service to be finished so that you can go to your next plan of the day. Uh, when you go to the supermarket, you're waiting. You're waiting for your turn in line to check out. When you go to a matatu stop a bus stop, or to a train station, or to the airport, you arrive at a certain time, and you wait depending on how long it is. Now I think at the airport, it's four hours before your flight. You have to wait. When a mother uh, has a baby in her womb, she has to wait for nine months for the baby to be born. We wait for food to cook. Did you know you actually wait for food to cook? Uh, You put it in and you let it boil, whatever it is. The farmer waits for his crop to grow. So you're always waiting for one thing or another. It doesn't matter whether you're impatient or not. You have to wait. If you're an impatient guy and you go to the train station, and you're waiting for the train to come, You can't decide because you're impatient and you're tired of waiting, you're going to go and force your way into the train before the boarding call is made. And you know, if you do that, you'll probably find yourself in a very different kind of station, Uh, maybe a police station, not the train station. What about waiting for the Lord? Is that the same uh, as waiting for all these other things uh, that you wait for day by day? When you go to the train station, uh, I've done the SGR uh, once. Uh, You go uh, through the whole uh, long, long, long uh, check-in. And then you're you're planted somewhere on a seat and you're told to wait for the train to come. Sometimes you can see part of the train, depending on where you're sitting. And so you know that because it's there and you're supposed to be boarding it in the next, say, five minutes, uh, you'll definitely go to the train. Or when you go to the checkout counter, uh, if there are, say, three people in front of you and the cashier is there, you'll see everyone passing one after the other, so you know eventually your turn will come. And so it's easy to wait for what you can see. When it's a plant growing, uh, I like plants. When you plant a seed and suddenly you see um, something popping out, day by day you see it growing and eventually you know it's going to fruit. So you have a measure of certainty of what you're waiting for, what you're doing. Sometimes we talk to each other and somebody tells you, I'm waiting on the Lord. Or you tell someone, I'm waiting on the Lord. And I stopped and asked myself, what do I mean when I say I'm waiting on the Lord? When somebody tells me they're waiting on the Lord, what what do they usually mean? And I came up with a few um, thoughts, and I think you could add to them. One of them could be you've made a certain prayer and you're waiting for God to answer it. Sometimes you say you're waiting on the Lord because you're stuck and in a dilemma. You don't know what to do, and that's a good statement to cover your cluelessness. I'm waiting on the Lord. Sometimes you need instruction from God, and so you're waiting for it. A servant waits for his or her master, which is another way of saying that the servant is serving the master, waiting on someone. So when you're waiting on the Lord, you could also mean that you're in his service, doing his will. But I don't think many times when you say you're waiting on the Lord, that's actually what we mean. It's probably the other uh, reasons I've given. But the fact is that many of us get challenged when it comes to waiting for God, because unlike the physical things that you're waiting for, you can see the train, you can see the bus coming, Maybe you can see the plane waiting uh, as you're waiting to, to board it. Those are tangible things. But sometimes with God, because he's not tangible, sometimes it doesn't seem tangible. When you pray, we struggle to wait because sometimes you don't even believe that the person you prayed to heard you because you didn't even see them. So because he's not tangible, waiting becomes a bit difficult because did he actually hear me pray? I didn't hear him say, "Okay, I've heard your prayer. I'm going to answer it. Waiting cannot staying put until an action happens or an event occurs that moves you to the next step. Uh, For instance, as you sit here, you'll wait until I finish, hopefully, (laughs) and then you'll stand up and go. But as I thought about this topic of waiting on the Lord, paradoxically I thought, what you do as you're waiting, uh, which, is, which is opposite words, waiting is I'm waiting, but I'm talking about what you do as you're waiting, perhaps holds the key to the person you become out of your waiting. So waiting is not just an end in itself, it is a process for you to become something other than what you are as you wait on the Lord. So this morning, I want us to have a discussion on what waiting on the Lord should mean for you and I as we go, and as we go through this, my hope is that it will help you listening to me, uh, anyone watching me, to move from a place of despondency and hopelessness to a place of assurance and confidence in the Lord, especially if you're in a season of waiting and nothing seems to be happening. Please turn with me to Hebrews eleven eight 8 to 10. And I'll be looking at the story of Abraham uh, this morning. Hebrews eleven eight 8 to 10 says this. I'm reading from the NKJV. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. I think we all know the story of Abraham. And I think if there's anyone who can ever teach us how to wait, I think that person has to be Abraham. And as we focus on his story this morning, I'd like you to try and put yourself in Abraham's shoes and see how well you'd have done. Now, from this passage, I want us to pay attention to verse 10 that says, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And then focus even more narrowly on the word city. Now I want each of you to lift that word city and replace it with something that you've been waiting for, something you're waiting for right now. What have you been praying for? What are you praying for now? Is there something you know that the Lord has declared over your life, either directly or through a word from someone, and you've been holding on to it, and it doesn't seem to be happening? I want that to be your city for this morning's discussion. And as you go along, keep reflecting on your city and seeing how it's going to fit in uh, to what we are talking about. So I want to pause for one second, two seconds. What city comes to your mind? What is it you're waiting for? What is it you're praying for? What is it you've been saying you're waiting on the Lord for? What is it you're even clueless about? And so you are waiting on the Lord. Lift it up. For he waited for the dash. For I waited for the dash which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now one thing I'd like you to note from this passage is that the builder of that city, the maker of that city, whatever it is for you, is God. It will not be your past experience. It will not be your know how. It won't be your academic prowess. It won't be your business acumen or your connivance and scheming or your networks and connections. The builder, the maker of that city is God. I then want to turn to Genesis 12 and I look at Genesis 12 all the way to Genesis. 16. I don't worry, we should be done by, by evening. In Genesis 12:4, we meet Abraham as he then was at the age of 75. God had asked him to leave Haran, where he was living, and go to a land which God would show him. And then God had also told him that he'd make him into a great nation and bless him. Now we all know because we have Bibles that Abraham was 75, he had no children. And God is telling him that he'll make him into a great nation. Abraham also would have to wait to be shown where the Lord was leading him to. He tells him, leave your land, Haran, and go to a place I will show you. Now, like today, when somebody tells you to go to a certain place, what's the first thing you do? Drop me a pin. Uh, I want to know where I'm going. And that pin calibrates the distance to the destination, the time it will take you to get there, and even the least congested route. Abraham, unlike us, had no GPS assistance, and he needed to rely on God and God alone. So Genesis 12.5, we read that Abraham took his wife Sarai, as she then was, together with his nephew Lot, and they went to Canaan. In 12.6 and 9, we read that they continued on to Shechem, and pitched his tent between Bethel and Ai. And then in Genesis 12:10, arising out of a famine where he was, Abraham then goes to Egypt for a time before returning back, we are told in Genesis 13:1, to Bethel and Ai. In 13:16, God again tells him that he will make his descendants as many as the dust of the earth. We then read a discussion between God and Abram in Genesis 15, 3 to 6, where Abram is telling God that he's not given him any offspring. He's telling God, hey, you told me you'll make me uh, descendants as many as the dust. I can't see any. And I'm sure Abram was reminding God of the promises that he had made to him. And nothing had happened so far. And as we continue reading we realize that this is about 10 years from the point at which Abraham was told to leave Haran to go to a land God would show him. What about your city? How long have you been waiting for it? If you compare your timeline with Abraham, which is about 10 years now, how many more years do you have to go before you can have this same discussion with God? Or are you already having it after you prayed last week? But in Genesis 15:5, God answers Abram by telling him, Look up and count the stars and number them. And then assures him that his descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. God is telling Abram that his promises never fail. He is a promise keeper. And this is emphasized in Joshua 21, 43 to 45, which reads this So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which He had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that He had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies <clears throat> stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Verse 45. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. My first take out as you wait on the Lord is this, that waiting on the Lord requires that you have the right perspective on who God is. Waiting on the Lord requires that you have the right perspective on who God is. And that perspective is that because you are waiting on God, The promises he has made in his word concerning you will surely come to pass. 2 Corinthians 1.20 reminds us that for all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. That perspective can only be possible when you believe that his word is what it says it is, and that he is who he says he is. It's pointless to sing this we know we will see the enemy run. And the minute trouble comes your way, you're the first one to take off. If the Lord says your enemies will run, they will surely run because all promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Only when you're able to wait expectantly can you proclaim as Micah does in Micah 7:7. 7, 7, Therefore I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Genesis 15:16. Many of us uh, know this verse by heart tells us that because Abraham believed God's promises of descendants when the Lord told him to look up and count the stars that because God Abram believed God's promise of descendants. God accounted it to him for righteousness. And this verse has never stuck out like it did for me. That this verse, God counting Abram's belief um, that he'll have as many uh, descendants as the star's, that belief became righteousness for Abram. Waiting on the Lord in expectation and not desperation or doubt, is an act of righteousness on your part. And I thought I should explore this a bit. Uh, But I thought if I go down this trail, I won't finish my message. So that's a thought for another day. Pastor Craig, you'll preach on that one. Genesis 16 then takes an interesting turn. When Abraham's wife Sarai gives her maidservant Hagar to Abraham to sire children with, This is what she says, Genesis 16-2. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Now it's an interesting statement because the person who was given the promise was Abram but here Sarai is declaring that she shall obtain children through her maid. Of course, they both must have been waiting for the promise because Abraham must have told Sarai. But the promise was not to his wife, but to him. And God had not said that that promise would be fulfilled through another woman. In fact, it struck me, God didn't even say it would be fulfilled through Sarai. Has it ever occurred to you that Nowhere did God say that, Abraham, you'll have many descendants through Sarai, your wife. He just said, you'll have many descendants, period. But I'm sure because when I read the Bible, Sarah was the only wife of Abraham. And being the clever guy that I am, as I'm sure we all are, we all thought it has to be Sarah. God didn't say it. And also we have the advantage of the Bible, so we know how the story ends. It turns out being Sarah. But at this point, God has not said how he's going to do it. Now this is what I want to emphasize from this about waiting on the Lord. I've already said that as you wait on the Lord, you need to have the right perspective of who he is. That he is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. From this passage of Sarah telling Abram to take Hagar, which came out of their continual wait for descendants that never seemed to come. This is what came to my mind, that waiting on the Lord demands full confidence that he knows what he will do. Waiting on the Lord demands full confidence that he knows what he will do. You've prayed, you've made a certain request, for instance. As you do so, be open to any direction that the Lord will take. And don't wait for what you think is the obvious way and timeline that God will work through and in. Let's go back to your city. Have you been trying to see how the city you're waiting for can happen? Does God seem to be taking too long? Could I please beg you not to look for Hagar? It's always a temptation for each of us to turn to Hagar when waiting seems to be taking too long. So who or what is Hagar? Hagar could be yet another cooperative loan that will leave your finances teetering on bankruptcy. Hagar could be turning to alcohol to deal with the depression that you've brought before the Lord and he doesn't seem to be lifting off. Hagar could be that man or woman in the office who is better than your husband or wife who doesn't seem to be sorting because God doesn't seem to be sorting out your marital problems so you come up with a Hagar in the office Hagar could be dipping your hand in the office still because you've prayed and prayed and you just can't figure out how you're going to make ends meet Hagar comes in many forms and shapes for men Hagar could be turning to the internet for those very, very dirty videos uh, that some of us watch. Please don't turn to Hagar instead of continuing waiting on the Lord, because Hagar means trouble. In Genesis 16, 3, we are told that Sarai gave her maidservant to Abram when they had dwelt in the land of Canaan for 10 years. So Abram is now 85. He's been waiting for the promise for 10 years. What then follows is that after Hagar conceives, Sarai then starts lamenting to Abram that she's being despised by her maid servant. What does Abram do? He tells her, "Do what you want." What does she do? She chases away Sarai. In Genesis 16:8 to 9, an angel of the Lord finds Hagar in the desert and asks her to go back and submit to her mistress. But in Genesis 16, 11 and 12, the angel pronounces rather disturbing news relating to the son Hagar will bear when he tells her that he is to be called Ishmael, that he'll be a wild man whose hand will be against every man and every man's hand shall be against him. That is the tragic consequence Of turning to Hagar. Waiting on God means you have the right perspective of who He is. Waiting on God demands full confidence that He knows what He will do. Thirdly, waiting on God entails leaving the plan to Him. Sarai seems to have given up waiting on the promise of descendants. Which promise wasn't even given to her in the first place, and she came up with a plan on how to achieve it. In Genesis sixteen two, we are told that Abram heeded the voice of Sarai, that he who God had spoken to a couple of times and confirmed His promise, he allowed a competing voice to make him impatient, and thus depart from the builders or the maker's plan. I want to explain this with a different um, illustration on transportation. Please uh, follow me closely. I also a bit confused myself, but eventually understood what I was trying to tell myself. When you go to a designated stop for public transport, or you go to the train station, or you go to the airport intending to travel somewhere, You go because one, you're confident that the mode of transport will come. Uh, You've always stopped at a certain place and this Matatu always comes in this direction. You wait there, knowing that it's going to come, the train will come, the plane will come, because there's a scheduled time that's been given. For the trains and planes, you even booked and paid for the ticket weeks in advance. Because you went online, for instance, you saw a schedule, you believed the schedule was credible, you paid for the ticket, and you show up at the station, confident that on the appointed day and time, it will go in, it's going to depart. Now I want to throw in some geography. If you're in Nairobi as we are, Kisumu is northwest of us. Uh, I'll assume Northwest says this direction. Nairobi is in Kenya. Kenya, uh, in relation to Nigeria, Nigeria is Northwest of Kenya. So do you get me? Kisumu, Northwest of Nairobi. Nigeria, Northwest of Kenya. Are you with me? Okay, work with me, work with me. Now, if you take a ruler, take an atlas and a ruler, and place the tip of the ruler on Nairobi, and then place the other end of the ruler on Abuja in Nigeria. Okay, So Nairobi is here, Northwest is there, so Nigeria is there, and Abuja is somewhere there. Take a ruler. I did this practically, so I'm not guessing. Try it, you'll see, it will work. You know, when you put the ruler on Nairobi and Abuja, it actually almost crosses through Kisumu. Trust me. Now, you can pay for a ticket, a KQ flight to Abuja, uh, and when it takes off, it will fly in a northwesterly direction. You can take a train to Kisumu, and when it takes off, it will also take off in a northwesterly direction. Okay? So everybody is traveling northwest. But if you're in a train to Kisumu planning to go to Abuja, you are not going to end up in Abuja. You will end up where? Kisumu. All directions are northwesterly. Are you working with me? So you get to Kisumu, northwest of Nairobi, and you insist when you get there, I want to continue to Abuja. What do you think the the station master will tell you? Probably he'll call the cops on you. So in Nairobi, when you tried to get on the train by force, you ended up in a police station. If you escaped and you found yourself in Kisumu trying to go to Abuja, you'll end up in a police station in Kisumu. (laughs) Now this is what I'm trying to say, that Abraham and Sarai, when they resorted to Hagar, was like you trying to take a train to Abuja through Kisumu. Hard as you try, you are not going to get to your destination because that is not part of the plan. Apart from it not being God's plan, in the case of Abraham and uh, Sarai, it ended up creating animosity for mankind through the birth of Ishmael. When you come up with your Hagar, you think you're going in the direction that God wants you to go. But all you do is end up in Kisumu and not to the Abuja that the Lord wanted you to go, despite connecting Abuja, Kisumu, and Nairobi with a ruler. Sarah reckoned that because descendants are gotten by giving birth over and over again, and since she couldn't, But Hagar was a woman who could conceive that then that was the plan. That was a Kisumu trying to go to Abuja. And so even for you, as you're resorting to Hagar to fulfill what you're waiting for, if you don't wait for God to fulfill it, you'll shortchange yourself because you'll only end up in Abuja and not in Kisumu and not the Abuja that God wants you to go to. Waiting on God means you're submitted to his unchanging and perfect nature. He tells us in Romans 8, 28, we know this one, that all things work together for good to those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. With this in mind, your waiting must have the underlying assurance that whatever God is doing, even if you don't know what it is, it will be for your good because God is the builder. He is the maker. But the caveat here is that it's according to his purpose. Don't take matters into your own hands to get the result you're hoping for when you pray because then you may be waiting in vain because that will not happen. Proverbs 20:24 20, tells us that a man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? Your steps are of the Lord. He's the one who ordains your steps, not yourself. So when you try to fit into the steps God has for you in your own understanding, you're going to make a mess of it because you are not God. Wait and let God do his work. Doing it your own way, even in the short term, though it may look like it's working, it will eventually fail. So this is my other point. Waiting on the Lord is not waiting for him to do your will, but waiting for his purposes to be achieved in your life. Waiting on the Lord is not waiting for him to do your will, but waiting for his purposes to be achieved in your life. His purposes, not your purposes. Having said that, what attitude should we then have when you're waiting on the Lord? I picked up a few verses that I thought would help me to illustrate this. Lamentations 3, 24 to 26 says this. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Psalm 123, 2. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. Psalm 33:20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 39 7, and now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. And my summary of these verses on the attitude we should have is the word submit. For many of us and for various reasons, submit is an extremely negative word. It means allow someone to mistreat you, take advantage of you or give up your rights. Others take it to mean that they surrender or yield or lose their identity And our egos don't take kindly to being asked to submit. And perhaps one of the things we find hard to wait on the Lord for is because you feel like God wants to tie your hands and impose things on you, to do things at his own time uh, without due consideration of you. And yet this is the farthest from the truth. One other says this, We wait on the Lord to act, to deliver, to answer our prayers, to renew our strength, to do what only God can do. We wait on him because he is God and we are not. As we wait on the Lord, he changes us and strengthens us. As we wait on the Lord, he changes us and strengthens us, perhaps more than fulfills what you're waiting for. So it's really about you, not what you're waiting for. Waiting on the Lord, to put it differently, requires an attitude of trust and expectation that God only and always desires the best outcome for you and that you can never, ever hope to outdo God, to do good for you. So the best thing to do as you wait is to deliberately and consciously entrust your life to him with the knowledge that he is control, He's in control and you have nothing to worry about. TC reminded us when he spoke of anxiety. Philippians 4, 8. Be anxious for nothing as you wait. From the Lord's Prayer uh, last week as Craig preached, as you wait, pray that his will will be done in your life here on earth as it is in heaven. And then you can wait confidently and resonate with Isaiah 64, 4, which says, Since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. That was profound, that God acts for the one who waits for him. And if that sinks into you, then the words of Psalm 27, 14 come alive in you, that wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, wait, I say, On the lord when you wait on him he strengthens your heart he enables you to wait for the outcome for the city that is according to his purposes for you tc was talking about testimonies i have a testimony which i want to give tc and that's what i want to end my sermon with i was in university and i just accepted jesus as lord and savior and then one day i had a spiritual encounter uh, where someone told me that one day I would be a preacher. Now that was most alarming to me because at that point the only thing I could preach was I once was lost but now I had been found. I didn't know anything else. So I walked away with that word. And my studies in law definitely didn't qualify as theological training. So I was like, this guy must be clueless on what he's saying. But that stayed in my mind. I went on to finish campus, got a job, got married, uh, children came, uh, and the closest I'd ever come to preaching was sharing in a Bible study. So one day I'm praying, and I asked God, by the way, I remember some time ago you told me that I would preach one day was that for me or was it a misplaced word? And I felt the Lord tell me, but you know you've not prepared uh, on preaching. You need to prepare to preach. So how do you do that? Um, Read books on preaching, watch preachers preaching, uh, talk to preachers and find out how they preach. Uh, Get to know me more. Read my word. Know the Bible. And so I went about my business. I bought books on reading. I had friends who are preachers. I talked to them, asked them, how do you preach? What are the different preaching styles and all that? I read all sorts of books on preaching. Uh, and some of them even teach you how not to look like you're shaking when you're standing in front of people. <laughs> now I'm not shaking today. I used to shake. Today, I'm not shaking. And so I prepared. But what actually happened in my preparation is that I got to draw closer and closer to God as I sought Him and tried to understand His Word and who He is. I began grasping how beautiful and how intimate God can be when you get to know Him. And it all ended up being less about me preaching than about my relationship with God. And you know, guys, from the day I got the word to preach to the day I first stood behind a pulpit, it was a period of 18 years. It shocked me when I thought about it when I was preparing this message. It took me 18 years waiting on the Lord on this particular thing uh, to stand behind a pulpit. And as I stand before you this morning, I'm actually not preaching but sharing with you what I've come to know of the Lord and what it means to wait for him. I'm waiting for him as a servant in his kingdom and on God's business, not my business. So let me ask you again about your city. Can I ask you to let that city that you thought about as I began my sermon, to lead you to God Rather than to the city, it's really not about the city. It's about God. Waiting is not about what you are waiting for. It is about who God is becoming to you as you wait. That is the journey. That is the lesson. And believe you me, uh, t- to see that's my testimony. It is worth the wait. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters uh, who are sitting here and listening to me. That, Father, it is really about you and not what they are waiting for. That, Lord, you seek to have a close and intimate relationship with us. Lord, I want to pray for anyone who has struggled with waiting who feels like you've forgotten them, who's even given up hope on waiting on you, that, Lord, they would not um, turn to Hagar in any way, but seek you because, Lord, you are a promise keeper. You are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. In the same way you came through for Abraham and Sarai, so too uh, you'll come through for them. And yet, Lord, as we read in Genesis 15.6, that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here that they too would believe in you. They would believe in your word and that, Father, you would credit that to them as righteousness. Father, I pray that you would speak. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Speak to us corporately. Speak to us individually. For even as a church, KVC, there are things we've been praying to you for as leaders. We continue to wait on you. But, Lord, I pray that it would all be about you and not us. To be about you and not the city. That, Lord, waiting on you will be about drawing closer and closer to you in intimate relationship rather than being gratified by what you are waiting for. So, Lord, we lift you up. We exalt your name. You're King of kings and Lord of lords. You're above all things. And, Father, we worship, surrender, and submit ourselves to your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.